Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Las Vegas, and in particular Harrah's. Amazing, this company is 81 years old now. I mean, I go back to the days where I actually interviewed Bill Harrah up in Lake Tahoe. I guess I'm an old guy too. My next guest brings me back memories every time I come here, but memories that I actually lived myself as a correspondent for Newsweek many, many years ago, covering the likes of uh, Tony the Ant Spilotro and... uh, of course, the character played by Robert De Niro in the movie Casino, Lefty, and a few other people. He is the president and chief executive officer of one of the more unusual museums you'll ever see, the Mob Museum, the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement. You've, you've broadened the mandate. His name is Jonathan Ullman. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. And you've expanded. We have expanded. We just, earlier this year, we, uh, we renovated an entire floor and expanded also into the basement of the Mob Museum. I mean, when I was covering Las Vegas back in the uh, in the early 70s, I mean, the FBI office here was busy. Uh, their organized crime strike force was busy. And that scene in, in, in Casino where the guy comes in with a briefcase from Cleveland in the counting room, that was going on. Uh, that, uh, all, all of that's for real, Peter. I mean, I remember, th- uh, you can't make this up, I remember going into the offices of Alan Glick, who then was, at the very young age of like 35, was running the, the Fremont, the Hacienda, and the Stardust. Um, and he had in his office, literally, on either side of his executive desk, two stainless steel shredders. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in his office, and two things happened that day. And one of them was actually depicted in the movie. That's when the FBI ran out of gas and they landed the plane. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, my God. And, and then the other thing is, who shows up in his office unexpected? Frank Fitzsimmons, the chairman of the Teamsters, who looks at me and goes, what's he doing here? I figure, okay, I'm sleeping with a fish. That's it. We're done. I mean, those are crazy days. And, and you know, it's great, too, Peter. You know, we, we regard uh, former Mayor Oscar Goodman as a chief visionary of well, the because, Mom Museum. Well, he was their lawyer. He was their lawyer. He's actually, he plays himself in the movie he Casino. He does. He does. 
He's the one who tells Lefty it's it's over. <laughs> then he screwed up before the uh, the, uh, the the gaming, the gaming control. Yeah. yeah, unbelievable. But the Joe Pesci character in that movie, I'm sure you have an, an Anthony or Tony the Ant Spilotro exhibit there. You must. Sure. Uh, Tony Spilotro comes up in a number of places throughout the Mob Museum. I mean, and the way it was depicted in that movie is really the way it was. Oh. For sure. I mean, and, those and, guys. And he were, was represented yeah. by Oscar, and you can, you can see the uh, the former mayor when he was a defense attorney in the exhibits. You know, walking around with his briefcase and his Tony. glass of uh, and his martini. <laughs> Not then. There were no no martini, no showgirls back then. <laughs> that's that's Oscar's trademark now. He shows up with a martini and the showgirls. Uh, and he's not mayor anymore. No, he's not, but he was succeeded by uh, his, his wife, wife. His wife, absolutely. What's the most surprising exhibit at that museum? Because people you know, maybe have seen the movie or seen other movies. Um, I mean, you go back, what, to the 50s? You're actually oh, the 40s. Well, I mean, my gosh, the, uh, the, there is so much at the Ma Museum. And, and, and starting with the building itself, you know, former post office and, and federal courthouse was one of the locations of the Kefauver Committee hearings, which were all about organized crime. Uh, that took place in our car- courtroom in 1950. Uh, but when people come, there's so many unexpected uh, artifacts, uh, things like the uh, the wall from the St. Valentine's Day massacre that took place in Chicago. I mean, you know, huge. Where, okay, I got to ask a stupid question. Where was that wall before you got it? Well, it was in someone's garage. <laughs> <laughs> but we have. Are there bullet, we, hole, we, are there bullet holes in there? There are. And uh, as a matter of fact, adjacent to the wall, we have the actual bullets. We have the ballistics evidence that was found at the scene of that crime. And, you know, this was a watershed moment uh, in forensic science. I mean, it, it, it's one thing, I suppose, to be, to be the archivist of your museum going back to the 20s, right? What are you adding in terms of yeah. recent exhibits? Yeah. So, so when people go through the museum, it's, it's really a journey from, from the turn of the 20th century to present day. So you get all of those old stories like the St. Valentine's Day Massacre uh, from around the, uh, around the nation. But what we've added now on our first floor uh, is really a modernization, and it's a highly dynamic interactive area. Uh, it's about organized crime today, 20th, 21st century, global. I mean, you can go up to this enormous touch wall. And you can search the globe for crime groups, law enforcement agencies, watch video. It's, it's incredible. But before you came here, you were back in New Jersey at the, at the Liberty Science Center. I remember doing stories about that place. And what I loved about that museum was it was interactive. Yeah, and that's a, a, a great example of an interactive experience. And we've brought some of that same sort of uh, engagement to the Mob Museum with our, our brand new crime lab where you can go in and... CSI you know, Greenberg? Well, yeah. it's CSI, but it's for real. I mean, you can, you can go and see how fingerprint analysis and crime scene investigation and ballistic science, how, how all of that works with interactives, so you're actually doing it. Now, based on the title of your museum, the expanded title of the museum, are you getting cooperation from law enforcement? Ah, absolutely. I mean, we have law enforcement represented on our board, uh, our advisory council, and we've worked very closely with law enforcement to develop the crime lab interactives. Um, you know, uh, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department's crime lab, the coroner's office, uh, but also for our use of force experience. You can actually go through a training simulation that replicates what a law enforcement officer does to learn how to use force in different situations out in the real world. Deadly force. Deadly force. Yeah. yeah. How many members who are still alive, former mob members, have visited the museum? Y- you know, I I don't have a count because it's, it's <laughs> too many, actually... Too it's, many to count? There's a lot. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> it's not unusual for you to stand in front of our made men wall and have a made man standing there next to you. That's a little scary. I love that. It's unusual. So could you give me a new title like Peter the Snake Greenberg? or <laughs> if, if you want. We have, we have plenty <laughs> to choose from. But we have this whole new space in our basement, too, that uh, discusses the, the Prohibition era. And Appropriate is, for the basement. Yeah, we yeah. call it the underground. Yeah. You go down there and you're really brought back in time to the 1920s. Uh, it's about organized crime, but it's also about the whole culture of the era. era. So there's a speakeasy exhibition space that's an actual working speakeasy. You can go up to the bar. You can get a cocktail that's from the Prohibition era. 
and the bartender will explain it to you while you sit at a bar. And there are object cases in the bar, exhibits all around you that talk about the culture of speakeasies. And we even have, adjacent to that, we tell the stories of how that illicit booze got to the speakeasies, the bootlegging and rum running. Uh, and that includes a distillery. So we are actually making our own moonshine on premises. Legally. Legally. Okay, just oh, double checking. No. Yeah. Now, I'm sure you have to deal with Bugsy Siegel. Of course. You can't tell the story of Las Vegas without having Bugsy Siegel and some of his objects. Now, I remember not too long ago, they still had his former suite, which they kept at the old Flamingo Hilton, right? That's gone now. Were you able to get some of that stuff out before they closed it? Yeah, we, uh, we have artifacts that go back to Bugsy that we've acquired through the family. And they're, they're photographs, uh, uh, lots of stories that we can tell about what brought Bugsy out here. And the old Flamingo, objects that, that you can see from the original hotel. What would you say, being a museum expert yourself, having come from New Jersey on that museum, was the most surprising exhibit for you? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I, I have to say things like our wiretap interactives. So you can go up to an exhibit, you can put on a pair of headphones, and you can listen to actual wiretaps, you know, the tapings of mobsters talking about what they were doing, the tapes that were used as evidence in prosecutions. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. This is a place where the stories are so amazing. It, they don't require any embellishment. They don't, you know, we just, we just talk about what happened and it blows people away. On the wiretaps, were they using code or were they just in the open? A little bit of both. I mean, there are, there are three different examples and, you know, but, you know, you can listen to a Gotti tape and uh, pretty brazen. I mean, these guys were, uh, were, were not The word whack them. was being used perhaps? Well, I'm not certain if that word was being used, but uh, sleep with the fishes, perhaps. <laughs> I'm just asking. It's clear what they were talking about. They were. Yeah. Now, when did you open? Uh, February 14th of 2012. Wow. So it's a relatively new museum. Yeah, and uh, we've been doing great. We continue to grow, uh, constantly refining the exhibits. I mean, it's. Uh, um, I think. Uh, a pretty big improvement and renovation that we just completed. So a lot has changed since we opened in a relatively short amount of time. But that's, you know, Las Vegas demands it. I was thinking that if you really wanted to come full circle, and you may be ahead of me on this, that you'd bring back somebody from law enforcement and somebody that they busted and have a seminar after they're out of prison. It's not uncommon at our, our programs to see that sort of thing. I mean, we've had... Frank Collada and Dennis Arnoldy. Frank Collada, who was a member of the Hole in the Wall gang, uh, Tony Spilatro's crew, a uh, who lived a, con a who convict lived? who had committed homicides, and his handler Dennis Arnoldy, who was an FBI agent who busted him. I hope you have that on video. We I absolutely do. Okay, I'm coming to see that one. That I want to see. My next guest has been around just for a few years, like 35 plus, uh, and uh, knows where all the bodies are buried. And you, know, and you want to say that gently in Las Vegas. Absolutely. But when it comes to uh, putting together meetings, conventions, events, uh, move, large movements of people, uh, he knows everything. Don Ross, who's the vice president of catering, conventions, and events. You got a big title. There you go. Thanks for having me. What's changed? Well, I've been here a little over 30 years, and um, what's changed is the dynamics of the town. I mean, we've got, you know, when I moved here, there were a handful of hotels that did conventions, and we were just uh, a small blip on the uh, hotel's radar. It was all about the casino. and uh, It was about individual travelers. It wasn't really about groups. Absolutely, and, you know, we maybe made up 30% of the market, and now the, the tide has changed. Our town has changed into hospitality, entertainment, and a meetings destination. I remember going back 30 or 40 years when you did have an event. It wasn't necessarily for a meeting or convention. It was to, to bring in a group to gamble, uh, you know, the high roller groups and stuff like that, where half that room was comped. Those days are essentially over. You're actually, you're actually making money. Absolutely. And, you know, when, when we valued the business, we looked at the gaming uh, numbers. What that would that bring? And that doesn't even come into play any longer in our, in our radar. I mean, it is still a casino. 
it absolutely is a casino. But, you know, we know that people will come in and, and use that as an amenity. But we're looking for meeting customers, people who are going to come and dine with us uh, and, 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 and they're looking have not business. Just, and they're not just looking for, you know, a dinner for 20,000 people, although they, they will go to one of those or two of those. It's the next night. Where they want to, they want to explore all the other venues, right? And we've got a, the you know best chefs in the world here in Las Vegas to serve them and the best entertainers. So it's really a, a great uh, combination. Now, when I first came to Caesars, we're dealing right early 1971, 72. I mean, in my estimation, I think you had one kitchen. <laughs> I think I really do. It was big, but it was one kitchen. It was one kitchen. So what? If you wanted Chinese food, it still came out of that kitchen. Right. If you want. Those days are gone. Absolutely. Every every restaurant has its own chefs and its own kitchens, and we service, you know, so many more meals. I mean, when I moved here, which was a little after that, it was in 1987, uh, there were no restaurants outside of the casino. It was all hotels, and everybody wanted to get comped. And, you know, it was Wolfgang Puck who came here first and said, I think people will pull a credit card out of their wallet and pay for dinner. And now we've got every chef known to man wanting to be here in Las Vegas. All right. Is there such a thing as a chef who's not a celebrity chef? Um, well, my wife is, but she's just <laughs> she's a celebrity in our house. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. Everybody has to have a celebrity chef. It used to be the maitre d'. Everybody knew the maitre d'. Now nobody knows who the maitre d'. It's all about the, the chefs. Well, when I first came here, they had they had shows that had dinner, right? And it was the same terrible dinner, right. by the way. But deservingly so. I mean, people come to eat. They don't. It's not just the service. They come to eat. So the chefs have have gained what they what they certainly deserve. Yeah, no longer the red banquet. Half moon uh, tables, right? Right, right. Those are gone. Right, but the buffets have changed. Oh my God! Our, at Caesar's Palace, you guys, you our guys have. Is... Uh, listen, you got without a doubt. We actually did one of my television shows there. Your buffet, I mean, if you plan it per- correctly and you don't come with too many doggy bags, you can eat there for the whole week. Yeah, and you can go around the world in one meal. Uh, we we have so many different food stations. So I was part of the Paris opening back in '99, and at that time, I thought the Paris buffet was spectacular. And now the Caesars is just out. Of, you know, it's just incredible. I mean, uh, my production team here. I took them. I won't mention the name of to a buffet the other day at another hotel. It was extremely disappointing. I was actually they didn't know it. I was preparing them for yours, because that, that, it, it's a different experience. Yeah, it certainly is. The the amount of food and the attention to detail, and it's not just. You know, it's fresh food. It's, it's being served out. It's a lot what we've taken from that and brought it into our banquet area. You know, we don't do large dinners. You mentioned it earlier. Don't do large dinners anymore. We're doing a lot of food stations and providing what we hope is the same type of quality that you can find in one of our celebrity chef restaurants. Uh, small plates, chef attendants, and uh, put stations together, which is not just a carving station with a piece of meat. It's, it's a salad. It's got potatoes on it. It's got a, a vegetable composed composition. And you can have little meals from all the different types of restaurants. I think you should open a restaurant and just call it carving station with a piece of meat. What there do you, you think? There you go. We'll probably make some money. Yeah, we'll make You'll probably make some money. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> but the bottom line is you have to source all that stuff, too. Absolutely. We have a, we have a huge team of sourcing people. And, uh, and that's the challenge. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. As, as your regular ris- listeners know, I always want to have a fireman on my show, wherever I go. And there's a good reason for that. Who better to tell me about the city than somebody who's been in everybody's hotel, somebody who's been in everybody's hospital, everybody's restaurant, everybody's store. Firefighters are the best guides ever because they really know the city. And joining me now, someone who knows this city, the fire chief of Las Vegas, of Las Vegas Fire and Rescue, William McDonald. How are you, sir? Very good. Thank you. Chief, thanks for coming in. Uh, before this, before five years ago, you were you were in San Jose, yeah, California? Yeah, I was a fire chief in San Jose, California. This is a brave new world, isn't it? It's very different, uh, very exciting. I mean, how many high-rises did you have in San Jose versus here? Uh, probably uh, maybe a tenth of what you see here. Right. Yeah. And the numbers are crazy because what, what, what amazes me about any city, and I'm sure you saw this in San Jose, when you're trying to do your annual budget, of what you need for fire and rescue and, and essential services in the city. It's based on the population and tax base of that city. Right. You can't do that here. Right. Because every weekend that number swells in the hundreds of thousands. Over 40 million visitors to this county every year. So how many stations? We have 21. Wow. Yeah. And if I can give you a contrast, my uh, experience in San Jose, we have 
more population there, a million people that live there, and about 200 square miles, so it's a little larger of an area to cover. 33 fire stations and more firefighters in San Jose. But the incident volume, the number of requests for service we got on an annual basis was about only about two-thirds of what we see here. Yeah, and for so many of yours are medical. So many of ours are medical, and really yeah, the and people fact don't, that- People don't take their meds, there are no clocks. They forget that they still have to follow their medical protocols even if they're on vacation. Right. And they overexert themselves, and they stay Heat. up late, and they do all kinds of things. And You know, it's, it's, a, it's the destination location of the world. Let's say you have a friend visiting Las Vegas for the first time. As someone who knows what you're up against here, what's the first thing you tell them to do? Uh, take it easy on yourself, um, hydrate especially. And my sisters came here last year, July. They came in July. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> and so we really wanted to pay attention to make sure that they had enough hydration. Um, to Are they still talking to you? They still talk. Okay, I'm just double checking. <laughs> they came on their own, but they, they uh, really, we really needed to make sure of that. And that's what, something I would say to anyone, um, especially at this time of the year, and especially this year, it seems uh, that the humidity is much higher. You have, and, and, and this is an interesting thing to note you have the unfettered right to enter any casino uh any gambling organization whatever and to basically save somebody right yes that means you can you can disrupt the craps game yes (laughs) and have (laughs) yes but um i will say this is that we have an amazing relationship with all the property owners all the casinos um and it's really important for us to be able to have that as long and you've done something else between you and clark county you know the strip is so crowded now, uh, you know, just the actual congestion of automobile traffic that it could very easily affect your response time. Right. And in, in medical cases, you know, seconds count. Las Vegas is probably the best city in America to have a heart attack because you've trained the security guards on the defibrillators mm-hmm. and, you've, and you've put them in very accessible locations throughout every casino. So the response time has been cut by four or five minutes right. because somebody's on you within a minute and a half to two minutes, and that's critical. Absolutely, and our dispatchers also are able to provide pre-arrival distri- instructions so they can assist anyone on giving um, health care before we arrive. And in terms of the defibrillators, we've gotten to the point technolo- technologically now where the defibs actually, you don't have to be a trained medical professional. That's the right. defibs actually, in, in audio ver- version, right. talk you through what you need to do to, to help the person who's in distress. They actually, if you turn them, when you turn them on, they actually tell you where to put the pads. They tell you, they'll check the rhythm and they'll tell you whether or not to push the button. And then you get to do every, what you see on every medical show. Clear! <laughs> <laughs> no, but you've saved a lot of lives that way. Yes, right? yes. It's am- What's your biggest challenge? Uh, the biggest challenge, I believe, is uh, the number of people that we serve, the um, level of activity that's here, and the really being able to make sure that we are keeping everybody safe because there's so many different, there's so many people here, there's so many activities that go on here, there's so many, um, uh, just a variation of all sorts of things that go on. And, and in terms of fire prevention, of course, the classic story and the classic tragic story happened in Las Vegas back in 1981. That was the MGM fire. Right. That's now Bali's, by the way, but it was the MGM fire then in which so many people died. And the lessons that were learned in terms of what you needed to do in your fire codes from that moment on, right? Yes, they did. I mean, when you take a look at major high-structure fires and you find out later on they weren't properly sprinkled, um, you know, your biggest challenge, as in any fire department, is what do you do above a sixth floor? That's right. Right. How do you get to them? Right? How do you get to them? Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, stay below the sixth floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want a, you want a great view of the fire department right. being unable to reach you? Go to the roof. You know, I mean. So right. we so we have to build in the fire protection, and we yeah. have a, a lot of relate. As I say, we have a great relationship with all the properties here, and so we have worked very hard over the years since the MGM fire and since Hilton fire back in the '80s to build in the fire protection to compartmentalize um, areas to make sure that fires stay small, uh, early alerting. Um, information that's voice over the loudspeaker so that right. people know what to do and where to go. And I will tell you, I've seen some of the fires that have happened here since the MGM fire. The Hilton fire, actually, I think was set. But the, there was a fire at the Monte Carlo, mm-hmm. and that was on the roof. Mm-hmm. And well, the minute I heard there was a roof fire on the Monte Carlo, I said, okay, that hotel's finished. No, you got it out but, because you had the sprinklers going on. Right, that's right. I mean, without those sprinklers, people are literally in trouble. But the uh, familiarity that our folks have with the properties and the amount of uh, interaction that we have and the planning and the preparation and that, as I say, the relationship and the partnership amongst all of the agencies. You have have the blueprints uh, 
in your in your vehicles half the time of where everything is on our computers on every building that you're yes. dealing with yes. so you know where the hydrants are you know where the standpipes are you know how to connect very fast yes and we have that relationship with the property managers um, and someone always almost always meets us and they give us good information about what's going on and what they've seen where we might um, have some issues uh, all of that do you do ride-alongs I do ride-alongs I love them okay Okay, it's, it's Chief <laughs> William McDonald. You're in trouble with me because I'm coming for a ride along. Right. My baby beside me at the wheel, cruising and playing the radio, with no particular place to go. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. My next guest, welcoming back to the show. I haven't seen him in a while. He's uh, the columnist for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. His name is Johnny Katsalamitis, but of course everybody calls him Johnny Katz. Hello, sir. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. It's an honor to be with you. Well, I'm going to start off. I've, I've talked about, I mean, this is something that um, I have to say, it's, and I, I'll probably talk about it later, but uh, it just, in fact, I will talk about it later. I went to a show last night, um, Absinthe, mm-hmm. blew me away. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't prepared for it. You had I, not seen it before. I had not seen it, it before. Okay. I, I came in blind, literally. Oh. So I said, I got your tickets to the show. I went in. And I knew that I knew I knew something was up, and then I literally could not stop laughing. I I, I couldn't stop. Yeah, it was one of those things where I'm going, a I'm not believing I'm hearing what I'm hearing, <laughs> b I'm not believing I'm seeing what I'm seeing, and then my my my, my good friend uh, Farhad is going to come on the show a little bit later from American Express Publishing. He was my my date last night. He was beating me up. He was slapping me. He was uh-huh. laughing so hard. You've seen it, forty maybe fifty times. In Is Las it, Vegas over the over the uh, last seven years since it's been open. Opened in, in uh, April of 2011. Well, I've seen it at least 45 times. Call me late to the game, but I'm telling you right now, wow. Yeah, it's the gold standard of uh, production shows in Las Vegas. It's uh, devastatingly funny, as you saw, because some great, uh, unique, uh, <laughs> and often death-defying uh, side acts. And very smartly constructed and loaded with talent. This is a show, Peter, that has extended its schedule in an unprecedented way in modern-day Las Vegas, where they ha- they go twice a night every night of the year with no breaks. With the no, same with the same cast. No, they have many rotating casts. Oh, in they and do. Out. They do. Yeah, uh, but they run that show without break twice a night because of the ticket demand, and they're selling more tickets today than they've ever sold. Well, they mm-hmm. deserve to. I'm telling you, I have not <laughs> been that impressed with a show in Las Vegas. Um, look, I've been impressed. You know, some of the big headliners, names that you and I both know, mm-hmm. do a great job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my friend Lionel Richie, of course. But, right. But mm-hmm. the thing is, this one was complete surprise. The only thing I tell people when they come to, uh, to go into absent, the only directive I say is make sure that you can handle raunchy humor. Because if you can't handle raunchy humor, you're gonna have, you might have a tough time catching your footing with absence. But you but want to know it, something? I, I agree with you. But as raunchy as the humor was, and it was, I thoroughly expected, and some of it started out to be a little uncomfortable, and then it grew a little more uncomfortable. But I was laughing so hard, and I looked around the audience, fully expecting some people to like storm out. Oh yeah, nobody mm-hmm. left. That that characteristic is very interesting because in the first six months they had a lot of walkouts. And that show in the early stages, because people were just like, they, this is uh, totally offensive. But I think the thing is, when you go into Absinthe and you understand it's a hit show, you're going to give it more of a chance than you would any other show. And I just think it's, uh, in my view, it's a broad spectrum of, of uh, offensive humor. It goes everywhere in the same way that Don Rickles used oh, to but, c- kill everybody. Well, the guy, who, everybody the guy who was like the MC last night. He was sort of like channeling Sam Kiniston. It's the gazillionaire, the, yeah, char- the, the character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The one thing about Spiegel World, the production company, they they uh, they don't um, promote the uh, artists in the show independently of their characters. They don't. They don't. So we had a woman, uh, Penny Pibbets, was a one of, was the first sidekick character. She's still known as Penny Pibbets 
uh, outside the, of Absinthe. So they, they're very, and Opium is their other show that they've opened, the Cosmopolitan, same thing. Harry M. Howie is the overlord of that show. Good. He has a real name, but we call him Harry M. Howie just to keep in the spirit of Spiegel. All right, World. so moving beyond Absinthe, mm-hmm. obviously entertainment is such a key integral part of this experience of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. What are the other must-sees? I'll tell you, I just, well, I just saw Bruno Mars a couple of weeks ago or you know, over the summer, and uh, that one I would have to see. The resident shows you you must see at some point in Las Vegas. I'm talking Celine, uh, Gwen Stefani. Uh, you mentioned Lionel Richie. Well, he's still here. Uh, Jennifer Lopez. Uh, we're going to have Lady Gaga coming into town. We just have announced uh, Aerosmith's residency that's going to be coming in in the spring for 18 shows. Um, those are the, the, the you know, uh, Reba and Brooks and Dunn at the Coliseum put on a, a surprisingly powerful show what's surprising about it it's a rock show <laughs> brooks, and went, dunn? brooks and dunn and reba i mean it's it's they've a, crossed they're over country, they're, they've it's crossed a country over. it's country hits but it's a sonic powerful big production show and i've interviewed them before about this and they said we wanted to go out and grab you it's country rock really and which i loved you know yeah. there's some there's some quiet moments too but when they they throw it down it's it's a big show i love that show um now, had, El- I've enjoyed now, Pitbull here, you know, I, I yeah. like that show a lot, yeah. Now, Elton John's on his farewell tour these days. Yeah, he's farewell to Las Vegas, he's out of here. He's yeah. not back. He's He he ended his run here um, in May, and he performed uh, fairly consistently since about 2004. Yeah, he did a whole bunch of shows, but he, at this moment... And Cher? And Cher is back, she'll be back in, in the fall at the um, Park Theater. Park Theater is really the... The, the hottest venue of them all right now. They're signing everybody. They've got the Gaga show. They're gonna probably going to have Britney Spears coming in next year. They just got Aerosmith. You know, they just had Stevie Wonder. Um, <laughs> there's, you know, big big, uh, big cards to play there. Yeah. Exactly. What's the biggest surprise, per- other than my experience last night, what's the biggest surprise performance in your book these days? <sighs> the biggest surprise performance, I would have to say, this is, let me let me make sure that I have this, thought through because that's a that's a lot i would say that the biggest surprise that i've seen in las vegas is how much i enjoyed the backstreet boys they're at the at the Zappos you admit Theater. that you admit i that. have to my hand up i have no backstreet boys music i was not a backstreet boys fan when they were in their uh hit making heyday but you walk into that zappos theater planet hollywood which used to be Axis before that it was um, aladdin theater for the performing arts and the party is on and it is a lot of fun and those guys are uh they still dance at and, great And it was the original great. guys, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Every one of them. Yep. All, all five, yeah. Yeah. So I'll say that. I'll say that show. <laughs> I liked it a wow. lot more than I expected. Okay. And I also will say that um, I, I grew to enjoy Britney Spears more than I did at the beginning of her run at the end. She performed at the uh, New Year's Eve, and that show really developed into a great Las Vegas show. I didn't like it as much at, at the beginning, but I liked it at the end. It was better at the end. And, and uh, Gwen Stefani's opening number is another one that is that'll high production value huge yeah it's a very vault las vegas opening uh reminds you of the follies berger and jubilee but on a lot lot bigger scale well you mentioned jubilee that now you're dating yourself Mm -hmm. because that used to be the big production show here yeah yeah it closed last uh, february year after how many years 33 in the jubilee theater at uh bally's and uh, originally mgm grand it was a show that was pushed back by the fire and uh and it was it was a classic uh, breasts and feathers show. I'll say it that way. Uh, <laughs> Las Vegas and Pete Menifee and uh, uh, Don Arden. Well, that know. was Don Arden. It was Don it Arden. Was Don Arden originally, and uh, that was their, uh, you know, and Bob Mackie with the costumes and Pete Menifee with the costumes. Uh, and uh, they don't make them like that anymore. They don't. We won't see another show like Jubilee again in Las Vegas. It was just too much. Well, uh, when that brief, show first came out, of course, it was part of the dinner theater. They served dinner there, mm-hmm. right? Those days are long gone. They are. Yeah, the only place you can really get a dinner in Las Vegas, I happen to, to have been looking into this a little bit, during a show, food served during a show right now is um, is a comedy club over at the Rio, the Comedy Cellar, which is the New York, uh, the Las Vegas outpost of the famous comedy club in Las Vegas. They serve food during a show. Uh, and Tournament of Kings, the uh, jousting King Arthur and Roundtable show over at the Excalibur still serves the uh, requisite Cornish hen dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. But I would walk 
next guest I haven't seen in a few years, but he's actually been here a lot of years. He's the chief sales officer of Caesars Entertainment. Michael Masseri, how are you? I'm fantastic, thanks. I mean, you see all the changes here, but you've seen the changes in the, in the dynamics of the business. It's gone from primarily gaming to entertainment. It's gone from individual travelers to meetings, conventions, and, and just huge groups, right? I mean, you've had to transform the company to be able to adapt to that. Yeah, it's interesting that in the past 20 years, business travel, only through meetings and events really in Las Vegas, because there's not any industry here in town, has, has really transformed the landscape. It's gone from a very small piece of the pie to a, a very large and important piece of the pie. And if you look at the hotels and facilities, you can see what's happened. They used to be 20,000 square feet of meeting space. Now they're 2 million square feet of meeting space. And it's, it brings a lot of business travelers into town. It's a great customer for us. So it's otherwise known as the long walk. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Well, I tell people you can't have 2 million square feet of meeting space and have it be close by. <laughs> so be prepared. Comfortable shoes. That's right. Comfortable shoes. But if you're going to go to a big meeting, like uh, like some of these meetings are, you know, 10,000 people, 100,000 people. CES. That's right. Some of the biggest in the world happen here in town. Right. So that means the numbers change. And I'm not talking about the numbers of people. I'm talking about the numbers of salt shakers, <laughs> the numbers of spoons, but the, the things that, you know, you ask kids where food comes from today, they tell you the store. Not really. You have to adjust for all that, right? Yeah, that's right. If you think about the banquet service that we do here in town, you know, it's, it's service, lunch, and dinner, and breakfast. What's the 10, largest 000? number of meals you've ever served in one evening? Our biggest function was 40,000 people. It happened uh, just this past <laughs> November. So it's a great, an incredible event for all of us. And there was a shortage of chickens for weeks. That's right. That's right. No, but seriously, 40,000? Yeah, 40,000 people. And it was a full meal service. So it, it wasn't a sit down. It was a reception style. But uh, this, this was not a light service, just alcohol. This was a big meal. And how, how, how long did it take you to prepare for that? Oh, we were preparing for weeks. I mean, the logistics just around it, there's the food problem, right? But there's also there's the logistics of, you know, the tables, the chairs, setting them up, it's breaking them down. It's people flow. That's right. You, you, it's the movement from point A to point B. That's right. And we're blessed to have great partners when we do events like that, right? The companies and organizations that do those with us are just fantastic partners to work with. And so it's really, it's a, it's a collaboration more than it's just us. But it's a military operation. Yeah, it is. I mean, it really is. It really is. Because, I mean, it's one thing to say Las Vegas is a 24-hour city, but if you're preparing a meal for 40,000 people for dinner, you're starting at 2 o'clock in the morning. I tell people, Peter, that this is the only place in the world that I believe exists where you can walk into my office and a few others here in town. Don Ross, you're going to talk to later, being one of them. You can walk in and say, I want to bring 10,000 of my closest friends together for a birthday party and have top-end flight, top-flight food and beverage, entertainment, alcohol, the whole works. And I want it to happen at 6 o'clock tonight. And I'm one of the few people in the world that could say, come back at 6, bring your friends and your American Express card. No, bring the big, big pack of the truck. <laughs> That's right. But we can do it. I mean, we can pull that off here. Yeah. And it's the only place in the world, I think, where you can do that. In terms of consumption, a friend of mine who works at another uh, hotel told me one day, that they were the largest consumer of absolute vodka in the planet, <laughs> right? And that they get it by train load, by you know, boxcars come I in. I believe it. What's your biggest? What's the biggest consumption item you go through? Oh, geez. I, I mean, we're the number one consumer of several things, some some beer brands, some alcohol brands. But really, it's it's the beef and the meat and the chicken that, that we go through so much. It's really remarkable. I mean, if you think about just the lunches, if you think about the salads, if you think about all the, the meat items that we go through, it's an extraordinary amount. So your refrigeration alone. That's right. Right? I mean, These are big, big facilities. You know, it's one thing if you go on a cruise ship, I mean, you're out to sea. So whatever you loaded in one port better last for the whole trip. You got to resupply every day. We do, and we're out in the middle of the desert. If you think yeah. about this forum that we're opening, a, a way to think about this is we're going to open 300,000 square feet of sellable meeting space. It's going to be a 650,000 square foot building. So there's 350,000 square feet of kitchens, back hallways, storage facilities, coolers, as you described. Yeah. And you need that. And it's growing. Yeah. Yeah, thankfully. But do you reach the point of diminishing returns? Uh, not yet. Uh, you know, I think, I think we'll still continue to get after. One of the unique things about Las Vegas is it's a great example of where competition really helps everybody get better. I mean, you know, when the, when the Venetian opens and you start to think about they're competing against everybody else, we have to get better. Uh, and so it's a good example of that. What's the one thing that's still your challenge? Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that keep me up at night, but one of the things is making sure that we can transition between leisure travel and business travel and making sure that we can, we can understand when business travelers come how it's different. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. 
If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Come fly with me. My next guest has the coolest job because he has to research behavior, he has to research numbers, he has to research trends, all about, some of you may call it gambling, in Las Vegas, they don't call it gambling, they call it gaming. He's actually the director of the Center for Gaming Research, and what an appropriate location for it to be at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and his name, David Schwartz, how are you, sir? Doing great, doing great. I mean, I'm looking at all the changes in, in the history, of uh, the history of gambling, if you will. Mm-hmm. I mean, what built this city, uh, and now how it's been redefined, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Las Vegas used to be all about gambling. Every single thing in the city was designed to get you to that craps table, get you to that slot get machine. Get you out of your room. Get you out of the room. I mean, the rooms were terrible by design. Intentionally, yes. No coffee, to t- no coffee maker, no nothing to get you out of that room, to get you in the casino. Now it's different. They want you to stay in the room. Because? Because the rooms are where they're making the money. Rooms are becoming much more profitable. It's a revenue center. Absolutely. And it used to just be a loss leader. Now it's a revenue center. Pretty much everything in the resort now is a revenue center. And yet it's still known for gambling. It's still known for gambling, but that's really changing. As you can gamble at so many other places, it's really becoming less known for gambling. You can gamble on your cell phone. Exactly. I, I mean, last night I went to go on the wireless, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it popped up saying, I could bet on sports teams on my phone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a new development. Yeah. It is, and that's really the the template they're using for the rest of the country. If you look at what's happened, what the casinos have really pushed. Well, the law has changed now. Yeah. The Supreme Court decision, that means sports betting in every state if they want it. Yeah, if they want if it. If they want it. And what they're pushing is the mobile betting, and that's the big news that they're doing. It's not that, oh, we're, we're doing this in the casino. It's that we're going to offer this mobile betting platform. But the people who are offering it are the casinos. Yes, yes, for the most part. They're partnering, partnering with technology companies, but it is the casinos. But what's changed within the casino? Within the casino, you've got a lot more devoted to the non-gaming stuff, so much more of an emphasis on restaurants, much more of an emphasis on entertainment. You know, if you look around the strip, you'll hardly ever see an advertise, advertisement for a crafts table, but you will see advertisement for the entertainers because that's how they differentiate And for themselves. the celebrity chefs. And the celebrity chefs, too. That's I mean, another big area. There was a time, I would say maybe 15 years ago, that it started to change where a lot of the world-class sommeliers we're moving to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And at one point, you had something like 30 of the, of the top 43 sommeliers in, the, sommeliers in the United States were here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, whoever thought that a, a place in the middle of the desert would be a wine capital? It's unbelievable, but that's the magic of Las Vegas. Pretty much, if people are willing to spend money on it, they will offer it. Has the type of gaming changed? Meaning, what's the biggest revenue source? Is it still the slots? On, in the state as a whole, it's a slots, and the strip, it goes back and forth between slots and tables, depending on how well they do at the tables, but there's a lot more volatility. And, of course, I passed a slot machine yesterday. It was on <laughs> Breaking Bad. They have a slot machine on that. I mean, is that what, if you win meth, you win, <laughs> you win crystal meth? What is it? It's really funny, and I think this change started about 10 years ago, where it used to be that the casinos and the regulators especially were really picky about what kinds of themes you had. What they, wanted themes? To, they wanted to safeguard the integrity of the game, but you know, once you had the Sopranos... Safeguard the integrity of the game? Exactly. They're very big on <laughs> in integrity for the casinos. I mean, you know, once you... They... they um, Hard Rock, one of their billboards was too racy, so they made them tone that down. But you know, once you started having Sopranos-themed slot machines with the mob, I think that kind of opened the floodgates. The yeah. All right, but now we have slots being statewide the number one yeah. revenue source. But on the table games, which is the number one? Baccarat for the strip. Baccarat tends the to The house makes big. the most on that. Yes, and that's because you have a lot of international high rollers, especially from China, bet a lot of money in that game. All right, that, now you've, David, you bring up my next point. Huh. The whales. Yes. Are they still coming? They are. They haven't come as much for the, the past whales. For people years. who don't know, are the huge gamblers who, in the old days, the casino would fly them in on their jets. Yeah, and, and this, they comp them on everything. Yeah, and this is why Las Vegas Sands has the largest private aviation fleet in the world to basically get the whales from China to Las Vegas. And they fly them in. Yep, they fly them in. So they still do. They have they, they slowed down a little bit in the past couple of years because the Chinese government cracked down on corruption. But it's still a very lucrative avenue. Well, you know the the, the crazy junkets they were doing in Macau is what was what did it. Yeah. And the money laundering over there was unreal. It's generally, you know, the impression I get, not speaking Chinese, but kind of what I follow is that it's not a good idea to show a lot of money in China right now if you're a Chinese right. citizen. Right. So, you know, so you know how they get around it? Yeah. You go to a casino in Macau, mm-hmm. and they have. There is a big retail component to that casino. Mm-hmm. 
what's the biggest retail component? Watches, right? And you see all the major watch brands are there, whether it's Patek Philippe or you, you name it, right? Mm-hmm. And a guy will come in, Chinese guy, mm-hmm. will come in, will walk into a store and say, what's your most expensive watch? And he won't even try it on. He'll take out his credit card, mm-hmm. right, and buy it. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a sign there saying no returns, no exchanges. Yeah. It's, a, it's a total game. <laughs> Five minutes later, he comes back, I don't like the watch. Well, mm-hmm. sir, you saw the sign? He says, I'll tell you what, give me back everything but minus 10%. <laughs> but give it to me in cash. Mm-hmm. So he has a receipt that says he bought a watch, mm-hmm. and now he's at the tables with cash. Yeah, yeah, and that it just shows you how money finds a way. So when you see a watch on a display window in Macau, it's been sold 140 <laughs> times. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Wow, great stuff. What's the next? What's the next wave? Quickly. Next wave. Uh, right now, it's paying for parking. That's where the most controversy is in Vegas. You know, people are more irate about this than any other issue. So that's if they figure that out, I think they'll be in good shape. Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant How do you go from the assembly line of General Motors to becoming the general manager of Caesars Palace? My next guest knows the answer, and it has nothing to do with defective parts and recalls. His name is Sean McBurney. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Now answer that question. Well, I was a mechanical engineer for GM, and after uh, working for General Motors for a number of years, I went to business school on the West Coast. Uh, Harris spent a lot of time recruiting people that were exiting business school into their president's associate program, and that's how I joined the company 12 years ago. You missed the assembly line? You know, I've always been a car guy, uh, but I think I like being a consumer more than a manufacturer. What kind of car do you drive now? Uh, I drive a, uh, a Mercedes GLC 63. No more of those stupid American-made cars. I just sold my Corvette, though. This is the first non-General <laughs> Motors car that I purchased. Big change, though. It is a big change. Yeah. I'm it not talking about change. the car. I'm talking about the yep. job. Yep. You know, it, it, it's um, the product and service is really different, but, you know, the core of the role uh, is not as different as what you might think. It's about great process. It's about having great quality assurance programs. It's about hiring the right people and performance managing them. Uh, That's what's required to create a car with zero defects, and that's what's required in a hotel business to make sure you're providing world-class experiences. But it's also about training the right people. That's exactly right. And giving them the responsibility of trust to make the right decisions because you won't be there most of the time. That's right. That's right. So how have you changed that training culture? It all starts with selection. You need to make sure that you get the right fit. And something that I spend a lot of time doing is um, participating in our screening interviews. We have a a screening interview process where we test people on their personality and we test people on their fit to the organization and the fit to the culture. That's absolutely critical and is a first step. All right. Part of that screening process, what's the the gotcha question? There's really not a single gotcha question. We'll ask things like, we'll, we'll provide you with a bin of random items, a basketball, a football, Playing cards. So basically, the Hangover Part Five. That's. <laughs> I just want to we're casting. We're okay, always fine. we're always casting, and we ask you to select an item, and then just tell us why. Why did you select that item? And we're really testing. What's your personality? Are you extroverted? You know, how well do you do communicating um, ad hoc? And that's really the first test. So how many people select the knife? <laughs> <laughs> no knives in the. No okay, knives fine. in just the double basket. checking. Okay, but that's part of the process. That's right. That's right. How many employees are we talking about? Uh, we have 6,200, more than 6,200 employees at Caesars Palace. And that's gone up. And that has gone up. That has gone up. And part of that is close to because of meetings and conventions, too. That's a big part of it. This is a, this is a significant and very special part of our business. And uh, we have had a great uh, period of growth in the meetings business, not just at um, Caesars Palace, but really across all the nine properties we have here in Las Vegas. You know, you, you can talk about revenues, and of course the accountants love to do that night and day. Right. Right. You can talk about $1 billion in gaming revenues, blah, blah, blah. But now you've got to do another metric, right? It's the revenues you're getting from from places that were not necessarily part on your radar 20 years ago. Right, right. This is a this is a big component of our revenue stream, and you may have spoken with Michael Massari earlier that runs our our meeting and convention business for the company. And the one thing that I'm constantly beating him up on is we need even more space. That's one of the challenges we have. We just don't have enough space. It's such a popular place to be, and the business continues to be very healthy. So you're actually turning people away. 
there are p certain periods of time where we just don't have enough space, and uh, managing that space as efficiently as possible has been a big focus of ours over the last few years. I go back years ago to, of course, the, the Consumer Electronics Show, which keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and the thing that used to crack me up is every time they had the Consumer Electronics Show, it came out at the same time as the Adult Film Awards. Uh, that, that's probably not ironic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, by the way, the former general manager of Caesars Palace just mentioned that. <laughs> no, but I mean, think right. about that. So I think they changed the dates now just because yeah. it just got too big. Right. Well, really, when you think about if you were to look at any industry and look at where do they host their biggest conventions, the, so many of them are in Las Vegas, whether it's an automotive convention or a pharmaceutical convention or whether it's the Consumer Electronics Show. Um, and yet we had a period of time, and you were here then, you know, after the recession, the famous Obama quote saying, right. you know, don't go to don't go to Vegas and you know, it's inappropriate. You had to turn that around. It, it, you know, that was certainly a challenging time, not just for Las Vegas, but really the entire country uh, was experiencing a lot of softness in, in all types of businesses, groups, of course, being one of them. What's the, the funniest group you've booked? Well, I think all of them have their unique challenges. Uh, you, we just had a, uh, a convention this past week that um, is really tech, is basically a technology group that w has, was in-house, and That's each group a, has their a, own. There's nothing funny about that. Well, they, they have their own unique needs. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, the shoe fetishists. They're coming in. I mean, w yeah, well, you know. <laughs> is there a group that you won't book? So we, we, we evaluate all the business based off of, um, you know, the needs of the business, and we certainly have. Um, a, a moral code that we follow to make sure that that group is in line with the values of our organization. So there's a moral code in Vegas? There is absolutely a very strong moral code. Really? We, we have a code of commitment to make sure that we're doing the right thing for our employees our and all of our stakeholders. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Diva Darcy. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.